Picks Mix is brought to you by the Araméta Show, broadcasting on Liberated Syndication on YouTube.com forward slash Araméta Show, and is in association with the Old School Lane Podcast. Picks Mix is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with the Araméta Show. Welcome to Bix Mix with Aaron. And Patricia. Hey, Patricia. What's up? <laughs> Not much, especially since we're going to be going sky high all the way up into the tropics. But no, but seriously, uh, right before we did do discuss about our uh, today's episode of Pix Mix with our movie, I just need to let you know about the Incredibles 2 trailer. And it was amazing. Oh, well, it was. I tell you what, I'm really glad that they're going in the direction that I thought they were going to go in. And, uh, you know, the uh, the Incredibles 2 now is definitely on the forefront of everybody's minds. Without without any doubt whatsoever, and uh, I like the idea that uh, you know they're going on the. Uh, I mean, the, we knew this from the beginning anyway that uh, Elastigirl was going to be somewhat the central f- focus of this, and trying to basically re uh, reignite her old ways as Elastigirl. And uh, but uh, I really like the idea that uh, now that we're going to have the uh, you know we have uh, uh, Barb as the uh, the stay at home dad. And yeah, I, I'm not even joking when I saw when I when I'll tell you this, but a lot of people have been posting online saying that, you know, Mr. Incredible has become Mr. Mom if he had superpowers. Yeah, I tell you what, though, I think um, I, I will uh, err on the side of caution, though, in regards to how they might go with this, because, you know, we already have kind of like a series of kind of like, you know, the stay at home dads. In a way, and I think the latest one was like uh, something. Uh, it had like John Cena in it, or something like that, and some of the other like you know. Uh, wasn't there like a movie that was out recently that had kind of like you know the stereotypical dads you see in movies? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. Hopefully, they're gonna do something. I mean, oh, oh this is a, a a family with superpowers, so I think uh, maybe they can do something really cool with it already. Yeah, so that'd be think, that'd be a uh, lot of fun. Yeah, I'll safely say this: it's gonna be better than the reboot trailer. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. I, I, everybody's been talking about it, saying like it's like Code Lyoko if it was crap. Yeah, it's basically, so, there's something people even call me to, uh, what is it, Super Ninja Team or something like that? Or, uh, you know, some I kind of know. crazy show? There's like, insert Ninja Team, insert Super Squad, insert Code Lyoko. A lot of people are not happy about it. Anyway, we're drifting away from our topic. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> oh, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> so let's drift our way back into it, shall we? Here All right, we- let's do this. This movie is interesting because I think it garners very different responses. Uh, for me, uh, Up was a very is a very fun, uh, very uh, you know adventurous movie. But uh, at the same time, I can kind of understand some people's complaints about it. 
Yeah, I think that a lot of people have mixed reactions to it, very similar to how they feel about WALL-E, in which some people really love this movie from beginning to end, while some people only like some parts of it more than others. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about WALL-E at some point in the future, but I mean, compared to WALL-E, I mean, at least there was half a movie, at least you can uh, you know, say was uh, pitch perfect, uh, but in this... Uh, well, let, let's uh, let's all talk about it. So, uh, uh, before we actually get into the movie itself, uh, we have to address some confusion in this because uh, le- let me safely say this about uh, and by the confusion, I mean I'm talking about the uh, what type of shot you got because uh, I'm going to say that uh, the Pixar shot that I got when I first watched Watch Up was one called Partly Cloudy. Now, some people will say, "Oh yeah, Partly Cloudy," and other people will say, "What?" Partly cloudy? What's that? And the reason why some people react like that is because some people may have watched it on television and did not get the shot. Some people might have got the Blu-ray and DVD uh, special and didn't get Partly Cloudy. And some people might have downloaded the iTunes version and got a completely different shot altogether. So, that's basically, right off the bat, we have confusion. So, um, let's, I mean, let me safely say this, I've seen Partly Cloudy, but I've got to be honest with everybody, I've not seen the Doug's First Special Mission uh, exclusive that comes on the Blu-ray and DVD, and because I haven't downloaded the iTunes version, I've not seen George and AJ. So uh, Yeah, I haven't seen either of those either. Yeah, so I guess let's stick with what we know, and uh, we're going to address which we believe is the animated short that came with our film, which is partly cloudy. Which, uh, if I give a brief description, is a uh, basically is, is voiced by Peter Stone, who is basically the voice of uh, Emil from Ratatouille, and he also makes his uh, directorial debut in the film. So, after a long success, cheerful cloud uh, people in the sky might make cute, cuddly little babies, uh, and uh, also cute human boys and girls, kittens, puppies, and uh, everything else you can name, and give them to storks for the delivery of expectant parents. Uh, I was like, is this the origin story to Dumbo? You know, it's funny because, the, oh, Echo, again, uh, how many times, this is going to be a recurring thing in the show, I swear. Yeah, I think it is, but uh, you're not going yeah. for me, so. Oh, well. Uh, okay, there we go, much better. Yes, um, apparently the, the, the person who did create the short was heavily inspired by Dumbo because he used to watch it a lot when he was a kid, and so that's where the whole concept of clouds forming animals and then the storks taking them to their moms and their dads so yeah it was heavily inspired by dumbo Mm-hmm. And so, um, basically, they uh, there is a, a delivery stalk named Peck, and he basically gets the worst of it because there is a big dark cloud uh, called Gus who exactly doesn't make cute animals. Instead, he makes crocodiles, uh, bighorn sheep, uh, porcupines, you know, baby sharks. You know, basically the kind of um, yeah, the kids that only your father would love, basically, <laughs> or a mother would love. Yeah, you have. It's like the equivalent of if, you know, you're if you have a, uh, you know, you have a doctor or you have a a hand nurse, uh, and then you know they're delivering the babies, and you know some cases it's like the baby's crying, the baby's throwing a tantrum, the baby is peeing on your face, and then there's babies who are like cute and they're sleeping and they're like sucking their thumbs, but. Yeah, there's there's cases like that, and we feel really sad for Peck because he's getting injured every time Gus makes an animal, and you can see that Gus is not doing this out of being nasty. He's just doing this because 
that's what he does and he's just doing this out of love and then he feels really bad for peck and you know as time goes on peck wants to go away from gus and he wants to go over to another cloud who could make him a nice animal and then they kind of have like a little understanding towards one another and peck is able to wear like a little helmet so he can protect himself if an animal attacks him and they start having this um little friendship towards one another yeah do you know what it is the thing though this is actually one of the the very few shorts that i would actually like to see more of like you know wouldn't this be kind of fun if it was like you know like a little tv special like you know, so you get to kind of develop the characters a little bit, and like you know, how did they meet? Uh, what you know, why do they? Why does uh, uh, Peck do what he does? I mean, why does Gus do what he does? You know, kind of like go, go delve a little bit deeper into it. Really, that'd be that'd be kind of nice if I, if we ever saw that. You know? That'd be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, that that was the short that we got, and I tell you what, it was uh, it was a good throw off. I think, if you think about it, because, you know, they first showed some clouds, which made you think, oh, we're going to go straight into up. And it's like, no, it's going to go into a short called Partly Cloudy, which, you know, is, um, you know, I said before that it's kind of nice. Remember when I said, talked about uh, b- bounding, you know, like it was like a nice different thing before we, you know, we got into the, uh, you know, the uh, the meat, you know, the, the meat of the of the presentation, which was obviously the Pixar film. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, this was a bit, you know, I don't, I don't know. It just, uh, I, I can see what they were kind of going for there, but in a way, I kind of like my shorts to be kind of different in front of Pixar films, really. So, uh, this to me kind of felt like, okay, you know, at least they did something different with it, but it would have been nice if they had like, a, you know, a more broader theme, I think, for the, for the short, rather than kind of like going, like, oh, there's something in the sky, you know, which we're already going to go into later on in the show. Sure, like something completely different than what we would be expected to see. Like when we talked about the Incredibles, we talked about um, the the one with the sheep. When we were talking about Good Dinosaur, we were talking about Sanjay's Super Team. They were all completely different. Um, you know, for some people, um, you know, they like to see uh, they have like they have a contrast to watching a short, and then they would go over to uh, seeing the movie, and then it's something completely different. And for some cases, the short and the movie are entertaining in their own separate ways. Sometimes, like Sanjay's Super Team and the Good Dinosaur, the short is the highlight of the entire presentation. Mm-hmm. So let's get into up. Which uh, I believe is a very, a very delightful film, and so we'll start from the beginning. So uh, in the, the, AKA the best part of the movie, maybe yeah, the, the 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 first twelve minutes that uh, many people care about the most. Uh, in his youth, age nine, uh, Carl Fredrickson is the fun uh, is the fan of Charles F. Muntz, who piloted his own self-made uh, dirigible known as the Spirit of Adventure. Uh, one day, while running down a sidewalk, he pretending to be the pilot of his bull of his balloon, a regular blue balloon with a word spirit adventure written on the side carl hears a voice coming from the dilapidated house and curious about it carl enters the house and meets ellie and uh, one thing i noticed that you know within the notes is that uh, it actually does kind of miss out the uh, kind of the um the the not the monologue i mean kind of like the um what's it called the not the is it the epilogue i guess you could say that we get we get with the beginning of the film because it sets up uh carl frederickson where he is basically in his uh, in his youth and then he introduces us to charles f months 
And right, also right. Uh, we do get little breadcrumbs as to what would be featured in the movie. We have Charles M. Muntz. We have Carl meeting up with Ellie. We have the book of thinking about, oh, I want to go into a whole bunch of places all over the world, and I want to go exploring. Mm-hmm. I want to create memories. And both of them, they are huge fans of Muntz. They're explorers. They love adventuring. And so they have that bond, which basically carries them throughout their uh throughout their childhood and adult years yeah so it's great setup to say the least so well you know kudos for for doing that and so uh then we get the meeting between uh carl and ellie which uh, i have to say is quite sweet because uh, um carl doesn't know exactly what to make of ellie uh to begin with and then uh then ellie you can see he's starting to take a commanding role in uh between between the two of them and uh, so um ellie starts uh, starts Starkling's introduction uh, of course is Carl uh, to release his balloon and he gets stuck in the attic. Uh, with Ellie's encouragement she tries to get it back by crossing the wooden single plank across the second floor of the house. Uh, however the wooden plank breaks and Carl ends up breaking his arm. So uh, that's uh, the uh, that's the introduction to that and uh, so um, so they obviously get the, they, we also go into the beginning of the montage which is uh, showing Carl and Ellie's uh, relationship starting to uh, uh, starting to build up, and uh, I don't know. Do you think they kind of went a bit too quick? I think with the uh, with the relationship. Do you think because they show, first they showed him off as kids, and then all of a sudden it's, there's a balloon popping, and all of a sudden they're married. Like, yeah, uh, I I wish that there would have been a little bit more build up into their relationship. Like maybe we would have seen them as like older kids, then maybe as teenagers, and then eventually as young adults. But I guess because the main focus is about you know. Um, you know Carl as an old man and then eventually you know the balloons go up into the air and then the house is floating um i guess they wanted to focus more on that i mean who knows maybe you know there was like a a rewrite into that because from to be quite honest when looking at the trailers the only thing that i did see was the house and the balloons that was like the the main thing that was attracting the trailers and the posters and all that stuff so i mean i guess it would be really nice if um we would have gotten a little bit more uh, detail about their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the thing as well. It's like, um, out of every... Think about this for a second, you know? We've got this story set up, and we pretty much skipped over a, quite a... I'd say a good, decent amount of the story, which is, you know, Carl and Ellie getting together and then get, getting married and then, you know, obviously going on having this life together, and that basically makes up the first 12 minutes of the film. Don't you think that commands more of a prequel than Monsters University? Yes, absolutely, because, oh man, when we get to Monsters University, I have a huge rant about that movie. Like, that movie seriously does not need to exist as a prequel. My, oh man, but seriously, stuff like this, it it deserves to have a prequel. Toy Story deserves to have a prequel. The Incredibles deserve to have a prequel. You can argue Finding Nemo deserves to have a prequel, mm. not Monsters, Inc. Yeah, uh, and so, uh, because, um, I mean, we'll move on to Monsters University at some, at some point, but, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to see a prequel with that, with uh, Ellie and, you know, Ellie and Carl, you know, talking about how, you know, uh, maybe they can even do the setup, because, uh, obviously, when they go through the montage, and, uh, you know, they go through all sorts of things, you know, Ellie becomes a tour guide at the zoo, and Carl becomes a balloon salesman, and they work side by side uh, for you know, the majority of their, for pretty much all their lives, and uh, then um, they decide they want to have children, then Ellie finds out she's infertile, and I tell you what, that is the, that is the, the, the buzzkill 
of basically that part of the the first oh, act yeah, of the film. Absolutely. Like, uh, for example, I know somebody who has Turner syndrome, and Turner syndrome, um, it's very difficult for you to get pregnant. So I knew somebody who has that, and she said, I relate to her so much. Hmm. And so here's the thing that, again, I don't want to come across as insensitive, you know, with this, because I know this is probably, you know, it's very devastating for Ellie. I'm sure anybody, any woman who finds herself infertile, but, you know, wasn't adoption an option? Um, I guess, but maybe, maybe it was possible, maybe during that time. I mean, we don't even know what time period it takes place in. So maybe there was maybe not a lot of options or maybe like she was so devastated like, we, we did see earlier in the movie about how she was so devastated, and then Carl decides, hey, why don't we start saving up money so we can go over to Paradise Falls? And so that becomes, like, their main thing. And then eventually, as maybe time goes on, then, um, you know, we have a whole bunch of stuff happening. Like, the car breaks down, uh, the a tree falls down in their house, and they start, like... Um, you know, stay, you know, having uh, to spend money on the, you know, their dream trip to Paradise Falls. And then as time goes on, you know, they start getting older and older. And maybe at that point, it was already too late. Yeah. Funny enough, I've seen actually fan fictions of like, uh, you know, what ifs and like, uh, the, so, you know, um, I guess people were so, you know, uh, uh, you know, so so taken back, I think, about, about Ellie not being able to have children that uh, the people started writing fan fictions about, it, you know, saying that what if she could have children? Which is like, which yeah. isn't canon. <laughs> I know fan fiction isn't canon, but you, you know, sure, go, go sure. And, and, there's, and I also have another. Um, I also have another um, explanation. Uh, like for example, I used to know a couple who were like in their forties and they never had kids. And the reason why is because they were teachers and they were surrounded by students. They would come by, you know, like after school to their place for studying, um, you know, homework or maybe like for activities like. Um, you know, going, you know, outside and having like scavenger hunts and hiking and even sometimes for dinner. So um, their children were the students that they would have teaching. Uh, one of them was like a general teacher and the other one was an, inst uh, you know, a fitness instructor. And so um, for the longest time, they were teachers. They were like teachers for like, I would say like almost 15 years. And they didn't have children because they didn't want to take away the time that they had for, you know, um, helping out the, the school, uh, the students, I meant. And then eventually, you know, they started traveling a lot and they, you know, did a lot of activities together. So that could be also another option about like, it, you know, they go to a, they, they work at a zoo. And at the zoo, there's a lot of kids there, especially since Carl sells balloons. So maybe they you know, put a lot of focus on entertaining the kids at the zoo, and then they try focusing on raising money for Paradise Falls so they can go out and travel and have adventures together. That could also be another, um, you know, theory on why they never uh, adopted. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it would have been, you know, here's a, a chance to have a do a prequel for Rob, and, you know, there's a, there's a story there, you know, at least. You know, there are many stories you can stick into a prequel for Sure, Rob. sure. Yeah. And maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe if they ever do a prequel on, like, the Disney Channel or Toon Disney or anything like that, maybe they will write in, a, like, a, a kid character, like a neighbor or something that, um, you know, Carl and Ellie, like, befriended and then, you know, helped raise a little bit or something. And yeah. then, you know, he kind of, like, moves on because... Later on in the movie, uh, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll be discussing about this a little later, but I, I think that, um, you know, the way that they treated kids at the zoo and um, at some point when Carl treats um, one of the kids that we'll talk about a little later, uh, that's definitely apparent that they would have been nice with kids. Yeah. 
just as long as they don't think you know uh, add a like the kid character can I just do and just make him like really annoying like you know kind of oh, like a, man, uh, yeah. kind of like yeah. the yeah, kind of like, like kid out of the Indiana Jones you know, kind of like yeah, yeah. oh yeah short no, round that, that, yeah that, that, it's actually good. funny because that guy who the actor who plays a short round he's actually going to be visiting Florida Supercon and I'm like oh this will be interesting if <laughs> to meet up with him <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie, Mr. Jones. <laughs> okay. Uh, where were we? Uh, <laughs> um, up. Up. Okay, so um, they're getting to their retirement age, and so Kelly and Ellie are growing old together, and so they work uh, working at the zoo selling balloons and giving tours still. And uh, then uh, Carl notices that uh, during their retirement phase uh, that uh, they, he'd completely forgotten about the chip, uh, the trip, sorry. And uh, the set decided to basically took the uh, saving, get the saving jar out of the way and uh, then start going for the trip. So uh, Carl then goes to buy the tickets for the Paradise Falls, presumably with the retirement money. And while Ellie, but unfortunately when Ellie and them are on a picnic, uh, he brings the tickets with them. But while they were climbing the hill, she uh, collapses and ends up in hospital. So, uh, and uh, then they, we have the sad moments of when they say goodbye to each other and uh, Ellie dies in hospital. And, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it becomes very de de depressing at this point, you know, to say the least. Yeah, and, uh, it's very depressing. It makes you feel really sad and it's very justified on Carl's character as a grumpy old man because he has nobody else. He has no other family members. His only companion is dead and he has no kids. And so he's basically just all by himself in his house. And, you know, we, we see throughout the beginning of the movie, uh, like after the montage is over. So we have him, you know, sitting down in one of those like uh, chairs that brings you up and down the stairs because, you know, you can't do it. You can't go up the stairs anymore because you're old. And, you know, it's playing the song of Carmen while um, the this other like shorter montage is happening. So while he's, you know, getting, you know, his breakfast and he's checking on the mail, then we see that his entire neighborhood is under construction and he's the only house there. Yeah, don't you think though? If they're thinking about it, you know, like he's full of this, like he's gone through this massive disappointment, and I'm sure it still eats him up that he's never had that opportunity to go to uh, to Paradise Falls with Ellie, and uh, now he's uh, got all this. Isn't this kind of like a setup for a supervillain more than it is for a for a, like you know a protagonist? Of, well, uh, definitely a lot better of a build up to a supervillain than Megamind. Probably, yeah, but uh, you know, it kind of makes me feel like you know it's almost kind of a nearly on par with like you know the uh, the origin story of the Joker. You know, if you think about it, it's like the only thing I'm missing is that uh, you know his skin hasn't turned, hasn't bleached, and he isn't laughing manically. Right, you know? right. I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Um, yeah, now that I think about it, I wouldn't have been surprised if maybe, you know, they would have written his character to be a lot more of a curmudgeon, but maybe, oh, that's not going to appeal to the kids. Uh, let's have him have a little kid sidekick and ha have him learn more about um, caring for others. So I actually would have been really intrigued on, you know, what Carl was going through in that course like his wife is dead and his entire neighborhood is being demolished and being taken over by corporate jerks mm. and um i, I think i i think i even i think that there is even a pixar theory of, of you know what because of course there is that the corporation that is um currently doing this construction is uh bnl <laughs> which is the corporation that wally 
and you know uh is is that you know with um the huge corporation that like builds all these things and then um you know it caused like all the major pollution and then they sent all the people up into space so yeah there's actually a theory that the corporation is bnl and uh, that's i mean it could be a possibility are you saying that corporations might have evil intentions no! No! Of course not! No, that can't be related to anything in real life, surely yeah, I don't think so. No. <sighs> what was I thinking? Yeah. No, seriously. So, um, so we have the construction worker played by John Ratzenberger, because of course he is. Uh, he's in practically every Pixar movie at this Interestingly point. Interestingly enough, though, not having the last say in the film. Because that's kind of like that was his kind of thing, wasn't he? You know, he like he was the underminer in uh, in the Incredibles, and uh, you know he would usually like have like the last line. I think. At yeah, that point. yeah, uh, yeah. He was. Um, let's see. He was also Ham in Toy Story, and um, uh, he was PT Flea in A Bug's Life. Uh, yeah, he's a lot of characters in in Pixar movies. They they like to call him. He's the good luck charm of the movies. Hmm. So um, obviously, the, um, Carl gets into a scuffle, and, uh, and you know he ends up whacking uh, one of the uh, one of the workers there because uh, he uh, obviously put his hands on the uh, on the, the mailbox, which uh, Carl and Ellie you know cherish so much. And um, here's the thing: if you notice, actually, one of the characters bleeds for the first time. Yes, I was just about to say that. Like, it's shocking because. You know, he hit him on the head with a metal cane. And then when you check on his head and you see that it's bleeding. I remember when I first saw this, I was in shock. I think I actually saw this in theaters and everybody was like shocked. It was like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, I think I even heard a kid crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it like it was like a whole bunch of gasp, and and then of course you go into the courtroom, and F Carl lost the case, and um you know he's being kicked out of his home, and he's being uh, recommended to go over to a nursing home can because they, they think that can they legally you know, do that? He's kind of violent. Well, as far as I'm aware, they own the house. I mean, they can't just kick you off your property, can they? If you're, like, the sole owner, I don't know, maybe they were renting it? I don't know. I, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe maybe they were renting it. Maybe, um, you know, they lost the case to the government, uh, you know, to that big corporation, which may or may not be evil. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's actually pretty questionable. Uh, but, yeah, he, he can no longer um, live in the house. He has to go over to the nursing home. And so he decides on a plan that he's going to um, get all of the balloons from his time working at the zoo and he's going to go over to paradise falls and um you know we, we see the two uh men from the nursing home picking him up saying like it's time to go and so he, then he says you know i'm gonna i need a few minutes to say goodbye to the old house and they let him and then we have all, all the balloons coming out and then it floats the house away and he's gone it's you know I, I mean i wouldn't be surprised if there was a film theory for madpad on how many balloons would it take for a house that big to be floating away into essentially south america oh my god there's another guy who's gonna be you know trying to get loads of youtube hits and uh you know it's gonna either end up in his death or uh, i don't know I see, like, uh, hey, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Please, please, so, please, please, internet, don't give us that. It's like you know, it's it's, it's all right for a Pixar film, but not for real life, please. Yeah. 
but yeah, we forgot to mention about um, the kid who uh, shows up in the beginning of the movie. We forgot to mention about Russell. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Russell is a little Boy Scout and he's trying to earn a merit badge. And he goes over to uh, Carl and says, uh, "Good, uh, good, you know, good morning, Mr. Fredrickson. Uh, I need to earn a merit badge, which is to help an elderly person." And Carl is like, "No longer is not even remotely interested." And so, you know, he just essentially just slams the door on him. I so was while he's confused at away, this because um, oh, sorry, okay, sorry to cut you off. I was confused <laughs> at kind of his introduction because it made us feel like, wait, was there like some kind of relationship between Carl and Russell before? Because they yeah, exactly. Because he knows his name, and we don't. I mean, it's like it's not like. Excuse me, sir. Um, I was wondering if you know you can help me earn this merit badge. No, it, it's like they know each other from they they knew each other at some point. Maybe Russell used to live in the same neighborhood as Carl, but then they had to move away because, um, you know, maybe they you know the B and L or whatever company like purchase the the house for a lot of money because we do learn a little bit more about Russell's b- background later on in the movie. Yeah, it just goes um, back to what I was saying before. This is the movie that demands a prequel because we need yeah. to address these things. So, uh yeah. So, um obviously the uh the the I mean, there's the thing about as well about uh, about uh, Russell because, you know, we're so fixated on Carl that he sort of kind of, you know, Russell's story has, you know, of him trying to earn his 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 badges doesn't really become much of a hasn't really become much of an arc. If you really think about it, well, I mean, the reason why it doesn't become much of an arc is because he was just there, well, accidentally. Like uh, you know, he wasn't. I mean, I mean, the whole point of Carl trying to float away is because he wanted to get away from the neighborhood, and then you know, Russell's there, like right there, and he's trying to, you know, try to get himself home, and you know, he he can't because. Um, you know, he's like thousands of feet up in the air and Carl wants to get rid of him. And we even, you know, see through his thoughts about how. And it's pretty dark. Yeah, that's the one thing I'll say about this film. There's a lot, and I mean a lot of darker moments in this film. It's like, you know, you would be very, you know, it's, got, it's kind of a uh, misleading title by calling it up when you think about it. At least in an emotional sense, you know, obviously in a physical sense it is up because obviously it's a house going up into the sky. But, you know, from, a, from an emotional sense and from a, uh, you know, a psychological sense. It's anything but up, if you think about it, you know. Right, right, exactly. It it just gets you um, to see the unexpected. It's like you're not expecting what this movie's going to be about. I mean, you see in the trailers, you see in the promotional posters, and you think it's going to be one thing, but then it completely gives a huge 180. And there's a movie that is a huge example on that, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, but... Yeah, uh, you don't expect that this movie has, like, this sort of dark humor. You think that, oh, it's going to be, like, all happy and whimsical. And, um, for you know, in some cases it does, and then others it's not. And so, um, yeah, we have, uh, you know, Carl and Russell floating into the house. And, you know, they're trying to find out where they're going to, where you know, where Paradise Falls is. And, you know, Russell's talking about like, oh, I know where we're going because I have my little gadget that's going to tell me everything. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then there's this huge storm that um, starts striking down some of the balloons. And uh, then afterwards, like it rains really hard and they're like going off course a little bit. And then eventually they do make it over 
towards um you know where paradise falls is but it's a long ways away and you know carl is really really determined to get there while russell is kind of like looking at everything and he's um experiencing the outdoors and you know sort of like in the you know for the first time in his life even though that he's a boy scout and he has so many merit badges yeah well two things to that so one uh, patricia we're not in kansas anymore <laughs> and two, um, you know, this is the thing. Isn't it kind of weird that Russell doesn't seem to have any, you know, outdoor experience? Now, he could be, I mean, where uh, Carl is in the the up world, I guess you could say he's being, you know, totally built up, you know, because he's, he's got a huge corporation surrounding him, you know, but, uh, I mean, maybe Russell's in the same situation as well, and maybe he's not had any chance to have, like, any outdoor experience, even though, you know, it's, uh, yeah, that needs a bit of explanation, really, because if he's a Boy Scout, and I would imagine that he's, uh, I mean, to start with, he, he does actually still have a couple of badges on him anyway. He has, you know, a, lot of of, badges. He has a lot I mean, of badges. He has a lot of badges, yeah. I mean, it's, not like, it's not like he's some kid who's like, oh, I don't have any badges at all. Because, you know, with the way that he looks, like a bit of a chubby kid, that could have been one of the easiest things to do. But no, he has a ton of badges. And the only badge that he does not have is the helping the elderly badge. He has a, you know, a badge for everything, but yet at the same time, well, yeah, he you know, has now no that he's outdoors, experience. he kind of yeah. sucks at being an outdoors kid. It's, I, I mean, I guess we can make the argument about like, oh, you know, it's like a, you know, you get a badge if you participate, you know, kind of like a participation award if even if you lose or something. Or, okay, but that doesn't really make I, I don't much know, sense. They're just because... really, really lax about badges. I have no idea, but it, it, it I'm actually yeah. kind of questioning it. It, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense at all because, like, he's got loads of badges all over his sash, and yet, you know, he, he doesn't seem to have much outdoor experience as a scout, which is just really, really confusing to me. Because I thought, you know, like, here's the thing I would have gone with Russell. Like, let's say he was, like, you know, the lovable loser, you know, like, you know, he just can't get a badge, but at least there's one badge he can get. And that's helping, you know, an old fucker. You know, like, you know, just like... <laughs> that just came out. I apologize. But it's like, uh, you know, um, just, you know, here's this one badge that he can probably easily get. All he has to do, basically, is just to get this old guy out of his house and walk him over the street. And there he's got his badge. You know, he's like, he's probably like, you know, if they made him like, you know, um, maybe like he's trying his best, but he's just, uh, you know, I say, you know, like one of the characters that Craig Barlett would create for Hey Arnold. You know, if you think about it, you know, like, you know, yeah, because, yeah, like but, if, if he was essentially if he was Eugene, um, if, uh, you know, he was a Boy Scout or something. Oh, even better. What if he was like, you know, I guess uh, a mix between. Hmm. What if it was a mix between Gus and uh, that Boy Scout uh, kid in, you know, in Recess? Oh, you're talking about... um, What's his name? uh, uh, What'd you call it? The Uh, Boy Scout kid. <laughs> yeah, not no, but yeah, I know, I know who you're talking about. But yeah, that that'd be kind of interesting. Uh, that I would like to see that. But yeah, I think that for Gus's character being kind of like a optimistic kid who's experiencing the outdoors for the first time, yeah. it would make a lot more sense if he didn't have a lot of badges or maybe no badges at all, as opposed to somebody who has a ton of badges but absolutely knows nothing about the great outdoors. I know it's just it's just it's really strange to me that they would. Uh... 
give him that, you know. I really thought they probably would have been better making Russell kind of like, you know, the, the kid really great for a badge but just can't get one. And he has, you know, he's in this city where he can't really go into the outdoors to kind of get them. And, you know, and on top of that as well, like, you know, he's, uh, he, throughout the film, he talks about how his dad's never around. And, like, you know, so uh, you have the point where it's like, you know, oh, well, you know, his mum tries his best, but he can't, his mom tries his best, but he can't, you know, she can't do anything for him. Because, obviously, you know, she's on a single income and can't, you know, like, maybe do the things that, you know, the expensive things that Boy Scouts would normally do with their family so they can afford to, like, send out into, uh, you know, the world. Maybe, maybe that that's something they could have, could have gone on as well. Like, you know, yeah, maybe like, a bit more for example, I mean, Russell talks about throughout the later parts of the film about how, you know, my dad knows how to put up a tent. My dad knows how to start a fire. And maybe, you know, the reason why he went into Boy Scouts was probably because he wanted to be like his father. Maybe his father was a, a was an Eagle Scout and maybe he wanted to be just like him and maybe he wanted to spend more time with him. But then we learn about that his dad is remarried and um, he... Um, you know, it doesn't spend as much time with him as much anymore. So maybe if he tries to earn this badge, maybe he'll get his father's approval again. That could have been a great thing to have. Yeah, and it's like, and then, you know, Carl could have convinced him, look, you shouldn't just do, you know, uh, you should do it for yourself, not just for your dad, you know, not just for your, for your dad's approval. Like, you know, it's yeah, like so a- what we're trying to say is, is that there's a lot of good things in this movie, but it just needed to be rearranged to make it even stronger. Yeah, I just think... Uh, Thinking about it now, looking back, I wonder if Russell Lowe is actually that strong of a character when you think about it. You know, compared, not really. Not there, really, there are plenty no. of side characters in other Pixar movies that are much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, so- Russell is a nice kid. Don't get me wrong, and he does have a somewhat of a sad backstory, but it's it's nothing compared to like Dory from Finding Nemo and then eventually Finding Dory, or it's nothing like. Um, you know, like Buzz Lightyear or um, maybe uh, like Remy from Ratatouille or Linguini. Uh, there's a lot of other side characters that are better than Russell, but I can let you know that he is much better than Arlo. Yeah. So uh, we're introduced then to Snipe, which is uh, the, the bird that, uh, you know, which he is a very funny character. And uh, though I think, uh, yeah, I guess he's kind of like, I guess he's kind of like the, the, uh, the Groot of the, uh, of, of the group, I guess, of uh, characters yeah, yeah. that were introduced so, to. So, uh, yeah, Carl basically tells Russell, look for a snipe, which that's such a trope thing in every single um, episode that of a cartoon that involves with like going out to camp. They always say, look for the snipe. What's a snipe? I don't know, but go look for it. And so he thinks that this giant bird is a snipe. And so he names it Kevin. And they have this wonderful relationship towards one another because Russell has some chocolate and the bird eats from the chocolate. And uh, the bird actually tries to eat Carl's cane and then it just spits it out. And, uh, you know, he just keeps following him. And then eventually... Um, you know, they want to get rid of the bird because um, it started to eat the balloons and started to pop out. And then the house just gets a little bit lower and he tries to tell him to go away. And uh, then afterwards, then the dogs do go away because there's a bunch of dogs around. Yeah. Uh, one of them being Doug. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Doug, uh, they get this dog and like, obviously like he looks like an old regular dog and so they ask him to speak and then he says, hi there. 
Oh, yes. Shit. Hi, my name is Doug, and I love you. I Squirrel. Remember, did they? Did they? Did they actually tease that in the in in the in the in the promotional like the trailers? Yes, and they stuff? did. They, I uh. I remember seeing this in the trailers, and everybody got a laugh when he said Squirrel. <laughs> so yeah, this was in the trailers a lot. Yeah. So we got Doug, and uh, he is you kind of like your you know your your you know, I I'm trying to think if he's. Uh, um, he's your kind of like your good-hearted oafish, I guess, kind of uh, kind of character. Like you know, he uh, like, I don't think he's kind of like you know he realizes that he's like in the uh, he he's in the kind of like the bad guy group, but he's kind of like you know he doesn't kind of like realize it. He's kind of like a bit of a goofball. Even yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, he's, he's not... just told to look for a bird, and the reason why he wants to look for the bird is because he was given a mission by his pack, and. The mission is, I need to find a bird so I can take it back to my master. And then he sees that they have um, Kevin following them. And he's like, can we please have your bird? And then Carl's like, oh, yeah, sure. Take him, whatever you want. And then Russell's like, no, don't let Kevin go. And then we have the other dogs coming in. Yeah. And we Alpha, have Beta, um, and Alpha and the other dogs coming in. And they're essentially trying to do their jobs, which is to find the bird so they can take it back to their master. Yeah. I want to know like the the the, the running gag they had with Alpha was that uh, obviously his uh, the the voice thing in his uh, in his collar was obviously you know uh, uh, was faulty, and so he had basically had a high pitched voice like a chipmunk when uh, when, he, when he had it. And uh, some people got a laugh out of it. I don't know. I didn't. I kind of got a, it. Was like it was a bit funny to begin with, and then it kind of got a bit dry as it went along. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like the first second that you hear him speak, it's hilarious because it's a nasty looking dog, and then. As time goes on, it's the 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 joke kind of like wears itself thin. Yeah, wouldn't it have been more? I think it would be more effective if they'd, uh, um, you know, they, obviously they'd uh, they show that like, oh hey, your uh, your collar's faulty, and then they like, uh, I don't know, maybe like found a way to fix it, and then obviously then you sounded menacing, and then obviously then you know you'd have yourself a good antagonist. I think, uh, or I mean, maybe better yet, wasn't, um, what if it becomes like really, really faulty that it switches on to multiple voices? Mm, I guess, I guess if it changed with his attitude, I guess not with his attitude, with kind of like his, uh, his, his. I guess it was kind of like you know, like one of those, uh, you know, what was those rings that you had when you, you know uh, that was supposed to change color? Yeah, the mood rings. Yeah, yeah. The, if it was like, kind of like a mood ring, a certain color that represents that you're uh, in a certain mood. Yeah. So like, you know, it would turn red when he's angry and like, you know, he turn green when he's like, you know, he's uh, feeling, you know, kind of sadistic, I guess in a way. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe he would be bad and have this voice or maybe he would have this kind of voice if he's tried to think of an elaborate plan mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And he would have this voice if he was uh, your addiction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah exactly uh yeah i think that there could have been some more to play around with that because i can think of so many possibilities it definitely reminds me a little bit of dr nefarious from the ratchet and clank games in which um 
you know, if he becomes like really faulty, there's a soap opera that plays in his mind. And the only way you would get him back to normal is if like you slap his head. I mean, I don't know if we could do that for a dog, but, you know, just something like funny like that in which, you know, it's something completely unexpected. It gets you off guard and it makes you laugh. Well, I mean, obviously this is not Pixar territory, but so they kind of try and did that with the cat in the hat. If you remember with Mike Myers and remember when he got nailed in the balls and then all of a sudden he started like playing free flowing. And like, you know, I think, uh, yeah, when, when you saw it being done in that way, I don't think it was... Uh, yeah, I, d- I don't think it would have worked. I don't think. Good it, point. Uh, yeah, so uh, sorry to bring back bad memories for everybody, but uh, yeah, that was my reference at the time. Yeah, but but, but uh, what we're trying to say is is that Alpha, the gimmick of him could have been better. I mean, for what it is, it started off pretty funny, and then it kind of just dried off after a while. Mm-hmm. So um, night falls, and uh, Doug and Kevin fall asleep, and Russell struggles to build a tent. And he's unable to do it, and Russell explains to Carl that he's uh, never been camping before, but his divorced father promised Russell he would actually say come to his ceremony and uh, be witnessing being uh, a senior wilderness uh, explorer. And again, it makes no sense because you know he's got like loads of badges for like doing different stuff, and like uh, you know unless there was just kind of like you know uh, participation awards, I don't know, but uh, you know it's just it's. Uh, uh, again, you know, he's supposed to be this um, part of this scout camp. He's supposed to be like well decorated, and yet he can't put up a tent. And yeah, just- exactly. He can't put up a tent. He can't start a fire. And um, yeah, I- I'm sorry, but for a kid who has so many badges, he should at least at least learn how to do something. I mean, for I mean, he's like really, really dedicated, and he wants to get all the badges and collect them. I mean, it's not like. I mean, even in something like collecting trading cards or um, maybe like, uh, you know, whatever club or group that you're a part of, you actually have to put some effort into it and at least you learn something. Um, But then again, maybe that, I mean, I'm currently watching The Worst Cooks in America and there were these like twin brothers who um, were part of the Boy Scouts and they actually did get a merit badge for cooking and they can't cook to save their life. No. So... I have no idea. I mean, to be quite honest, I've never been a part of a Girl Scout club or anything that gave away awards or badges. So, um, yeah, I don't know how easy or how difficult it is to earn them nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, um, Carl wakes up in the morning to find Kevin gone. Uh, Russell and Doug are in a panic, and uh, soon they uh, see him on the roof and uh, with a pile of food. Uh, Doug explains that he's been collecting food for her ba- babies, and uh, which leads Russell to realize that Kevin this was a girl this entire time. And so, uh, which I guess, um, I mean, I don't know, they, it kind of feels a bit thrown in, really, a little bit, you know, it's like, oh, we, you know, uh, Kevin has these babies, and now we got to care about that all of a sudden. So Yeah, like, uh, it, it's exactly. It just feels like a, um, a plot point that comes completely out of nowhere. I mean, it's kind of like in The Rescuers Down Under, in which you have the kid who's visiting the eagle, and then... Um, you know, when he sees the eagle for the first time, he finds out, oh, she has babies. And then we have um, the hunter, played by George C. Scott, who wants to go after the eagle and the um, and the eggs because he wants to capture them because he's a hunter. So what would have happened if maybe, like, um, this kid went to look for a different animal and then he sees the eagle? And then um, the eagle has, you know, the babies that are waiting to be hatched. And then it just goes 
like in a completely different direction because oh uh we want to create tension because mm. that's essentially what the tension is in the movie about this bird and these babies and to keep them safe as opposed to like oh um i'm an old man and i want to go over to paradise falls because that's where my wife and i have been wanting to go for at least many many years so yeah that part of the plot point just takes a back seat for a while yeah it's just it's just just you know it just feels just thrown in uh, uh for me so um they obviously go off to um kevin calls her babies and uh and the faint so beeping can be heard uh, kevin runs into her babies and uh leaves uh carl forces dog to and russell to a long uh, leaving the latter depressed uh, as they're walking, they encounter Alpha, Gamma, and Beta. Red dog leaks out out of out of the lo- leaks out that uh, he lost the bird, and the rest of the dogs uh, force Carl and Russell to come along to to do- uh, with Dog to their master. And this is where we're introduced to uh, Charles F. Muntz, who was uh, uh, still alive after all this time. And uh, you know, th- this just feels kind of strange that you know I-, I don't know how old he was when um, you know uh, Charles. Sorry, sorry when. Uh, uh, Carl first idolized him, but I tell you what, he must be like in his what in his nineties, in his hundreds. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? This is some. This is one thing that I definitely do agree on the nostalgia critic when he did his discussion on this movie. Is that they? I mean, you have Charles M. Munz who looks like he's in his. I'm gonna guess maybe his mid twenties, early thirties, and you know we have Carl who's like a little kid, and then when you meet, when you see them, they look like they're the same age. So yeah, it's very confusing and as to how many years apart they are. Mm, it's just it's strange to say the least. Yeah, I mean, maybe, it, I could maybe, make, maybe I mean, the one thing we could say maybe if, maybe, um, the, maybe the one thing I would uh, say probably say is that maybe Ellie died at, at a very young age for being elderly, maybe. I mean, like maybe maybe she died like you know just a, maybe like a maybe a couple of months after they retired, maybe which puts them yeah. Like I, in the I, 60s. I would definitely um, agree to that statement as well. Um, I would say that I mean, if we want to play around through ages, I mean, um, I, I let's see. I mean, I think I did remember that in the beginning of the movie there was mentions about like Carl was nine years old in the beginning of the movie, and then you know we could have Charles maybe like in his early to mid twenties. So that's at least maybe like. 15-ish years so let's just say that carl was in his 70s then yeah you know charles munch should be in his 90s and it's yeah i would say that it does look very confusing that you know we have these two old men who do look like they're similar ages but you know one is clearly much older than the other so yeah that definitely gives uh that definitely needs another explanation as to you know, Charles Munson, and what he was doing this, you know, whole time, uh, you know, again, this would definitely be good for prequel fodder. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe Charles Munson took better care of himself than Carl did. Maybe Carl just... Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, maybe we can make that argument, but um, but we'll definitely discuss about how maybe that's not a case um, that we can argue with, but um, going into um, when, you know, Charles sees um, Carl and Russell, he brings them over to his uh, ship, uh, you know, his airship, he shows them around to, he has, uh, you know, he has like a museum of like rare, in, you know, animals in their bones, and they have this like nice uh, dining room where they have uh, they get served food, and it's essentially just him being surrounded by a bunch of dogs. 
Mm. And, uh, you know, Carl and uh, Russell are just sitting down and enjoying the food. And Carl is like mesmerized that he's, you know, inside the airship, uh, you know, to where, you know, he imagined himself being when he was a kid. Like, you know, he's essentially being with his idol. And then he talks about the bird. He talks about wanting to capture the bird and wanting him to bring it back because, you know, he wants to show everybody that he was um, he was telling the truth. Everybody thought that he was crazy. They didn't believe him. They you know, he um, was basically publicly embarrassed and called a liar. And, you know, ever since then, he's been at Paradise Falls looking for this bird out of revenge and um I'm sure that, you know, revenge and stress may not be good to a person. Uh, I would say that, you know, he probably would be even in worse shape than Carl. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. is uh, On top of that as well, you can definitely tell that he's been uh, psychologically deranged uh, for, throughout this time. Because if, when, you, when, uh, he, you know, when he goes through that sadistic, uh, you know, monologue of how, you know, explorers are trying to come to find the bird. And he's got, he's basically uh, uh, um, saying that he got rid of them all basically, and uh, so he like, starts knocking over, uh, you know, uh, helmets and stuff, and basically uh, 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 saying that, you know, he um, basically, you know, knocked them off as they, as they were coming down. So, uh, you know, he, he, it looks like he's basically, from the looks of it, he looks like he's basically lost his mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was even talking about like, there's a lot of people that come here that are very interesting. Uh, One is a photographer, one's a news reporter, and he's like knocking down their helmets and it looks like he may have something to do with their disappearance. And it's like, wow, he's willing to do everything to capture this bird. And... Uh, then Carl is like, oh man, this guy's a maniac. We have to get out of here. And then we have Russell um, looking up at the um, the picture of the, not the picture, the, the, um, the skeleton of the bird. And then he says, oh, hey, that looks like Kevin, my bird friend. I'm like, shut up. Seriously, mm. don't speak anymore. Yeah. Um, then that's when Charles makes uh, Carl and Russell like his enemies. Like he's willing to capture them so that they can be able to lure the bird over to him. Mm-hmm. So um, we get to the point where uh, Kevin hears his baby's crying again. Uh, oh wait, hang on a second. Have we have I have I skipped a bit? Uh, so, yeah. So uh, they go through this uh, scene where they're trying to escape. And uh, then, uh, and they do so, and uh, then these uh, soaked dogs return to Mons and who reacts angrily. And when the dog is explaining that dog is on Kevin's side, he comes up with an idea to use Doug's tracking device to uh, basically go and try and find them. So meanwhile, Carl and the group uh, think that they're safe. Uh, they decide to continue moving with Kevin to the porch of the house. Uh, Russell tells Carl that uh, the wilderness is a lot wilder than uh, than he thought it would be. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. The wilderness is wild. Yeah. Wow. Even in the jungle movie, the, you know, even the kids there had some kind of a, a, a acknowledgement that you know what the where they were in was not a good place. So. Yeah, and we we uh, we even made the argument that um, you know for people who say that the jungle movie was. Um, the the tone was completely out of place because it takes place in a jungle which i mean arnold's parents they the last no whereabouts was a jungle and of course that was going to happen and we did see people reacting bad to it like you know um eugene having an allergic reaction and getting bites and Rhonda getting her hair loss and you know they actually reacted to the jungle in a very severe way 
they knew what they were going against. But yeah. here with Russell, it's like, man, being in the wilderness is hard. It's, it's like, jeez, you know what? Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, you as a Boy Scout having all these badges of learning how to put a tent, starting a fire, learning about animals, you would know this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we get more, di- you know, uh, dialogue about how Russell, you know, uh, he was, would get brought to a Fenton's ice cream and they would sit in the curb and count the number of blue and red cars and stuff. And like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, more of like uh, how, you know, uh, his dad's not spending so much time with him and stuff. And like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, that that's there. Uh, so Kevin hears uh, the the babies uh, cry for help, for help and uh, darts towards them uh, in the cave. Suddenly, uh, a spotlight falls on Kevin and Munt's uh, uh, airship uh, has uh, followed her, and, and then she gets captured. And uh, but uh, when uh, they try and save her, uh, Munt uh, sets fire to the house. And uh, so then uh, Carl get, you know gives up trying to find trying to find trying to get Kevin back and uh, tries to put out the fire, and uh, ends up having to give away you know uh, the the. And again with the burden, so uh, that ends up being our uh, kind of our conflict between our uh, two characters between Carl and Russell. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't as it felt a bit forced. This, you know, the uh, the getting these two to kind of conflict with each other. If you if you ask me, yeah, because. I mean, we already know why Carl was in Paradise Falls in the first place, because he wanted to be at the place where his wife was. It just so happens that Russell, um, you know, was there accidentally, and then he just got himself into this bad situation. In a sense, we could argue that it was Russell's fault that Carl was into this predicament, because, you know, Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for Russell, then maybe the bird wouldn't be following them. And if the bird wasn't following them, then maybe they wouldn't be, um, you know, uh, they wouldn't be captured by Charles Munz, and uh, they wouldn't be, like, getting themselves into severe trouble. So, um, you know, the fact that, you know, uh, Russell is telling him, you know, we have to go back for Kevin. You know, Kevin needs us. And then Carl's like, no, this bird has caused too much trouble as it is. And, um, you know, sure, I mean, you, you know, you can make the argument that, yeah, you want to save a bird. The bird needs some help. And, yeah, it's just causing a lot more trouble for Carl because most of his balloons have been popped out by um, Charles's, uh, I think it was his gun, and um, now he barely has any uh, air left to maneuver his house so he can be able to float it up to where he needs to go. And so he gets, like, really, really frustrated. He didn't want any part of this. I mean, he was essentially a loner, and he didn't want anybody to bother him. But now that we have Russell there bothering him... It just makes him, like, really upset and just, you know, essentially tells him to go away and leave him alone. Yeah. And so Russell does that. And uh, then we see, you know, Carl continuing to struggle to go over to um, to the hills in Paradise Falls. And he has, like, absolutely no remorse towards the bird's safety or towards Russell for a while. He has no reason to do so because he felt like he was just fell off. No, he flat. has absolutely no reason for that. Yeah. And it is I mean, he didn't really also. care for the bird in the first place. It was all Russell. Yeah. And then we finally get to the point where Carl actually does get to the falls. And, uh, you know, Russell throws his uh, sash in the ground in anger and uh, goes off to try and rescue, uh, um, you know, Kevin on a uh, on a leaf blower. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, like, you know, um, yeah, throwing that sash on the ground is like, I don't want it any longer. It's like, you've not even done anything to earn it. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, if, if you really think about it, like, you know, how useless has he been in this, uh, whole adventure, you know, when you think about it? 
Yeah, if, if anything, he's caused more problems. Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, I know, I know we say uh, he's... Again, I think this will be a lot more justified if he had no badges. Or if yeah. he had maybe, like, one or two, as opposed to, like, a kid who had multiple badges. Yeah. Like, if he's around and says, you know what, forget the badge, I don't care, I'm just going to go to the, you know... Uh, uh, let's say, for example, he became, he had become fixated on the badges, and then finally he found a reason to, like, say, you know what, it's not about the badges anymore, it's about doing what's right, and then going off to go find Kevin. There'd be some strength to that, but there's no strength Yes, here. absolutely, there would be some strength to that. Yeah. That would give um, Russell a purpose as to, you know, becoming determined to um, doing something for himself for once, as opposed to like, oh, I want to earn these badges so I can make my dad proud. This might, this might sound that, incredibly yeah, cruel. Yeah, I think that there could have been some slight tweaking in this. Yeah, this might sound incredibly cruel, but Buzz Lightyear has more believability as a space ranger than Russell does as a believability as, uh, as, a, as, a, as a Boy Scout. I'm sorry. I mean, you can make a huge argument about that because, I mean, we already saw it from, like, the first two movies. There's the Buzz Lightyear animated series. So there is justification to why Buzz Lightyear is a stronger space ranger, even though that he's a toy, mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, Russell, who's a Boy Scout, who has a lot of badges, but absolutely sucks at being a Boy Scout. I know. It's just, it's just a, it's, it, Russell is a badly written character in this, in this, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and, and it sucks, too, because there's a lot of potential for this character. Yeah, there was. So, I mean, we get to the point where Carl goes through uh, a montage of how, you know, <laughs> again, this also feels a bit like, you know, they're trying to make us feel like, you know, he's, uh, you know, oh, he should feel bad about the situation he's in. And he's not happy that he's there and stuff like that. And then he flips through the pages of the book, uh, you know, the adventure book that him and Ellie have been putting together over the years. And, uh, you know, he's worried about going on to the next page because he feels like it's just going to be nothing in it. And then he realizes it's his, 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 their, their life in, in you know, uh, in its entirety of the adventure that they've been on pretty much. And then it ends with them basically saying, thanks for the adventure. Now go have a new one. Love, Ellie. And uh, that, that is an emotional moment, you know, that on its own. And, uh, I love that moment. It's yeah. so great. When you take from the intro of the movie all the way up into that scene in which they were happy together, it wasn't about traveling. It wasn't about going out to different places. Just them two alone, going through the experiences of being a couple, going into work and trying to live normal lives. That was all that Ellie wanted. She wanted to be with somebody to have these experiences with. And for her, that was enough. Yeah. It's just too bad that it's the motivation to uh, make Carl throw everything out of his house and uh, go and save uh, this Boy Scout, which uh, we never really could root for in the first place. Uh... So... You know, just, oh, well. uh, yeah. So that bit was great, but the follow-on after that is just—it's. Uh, then it's yeah, and, and, and then of... they try to be like one of those, um, you know, action moments with the dogs and the airplane, and you have these two old men fighting each other, so that, um, you know, because uh, at this point in the movie, you have uh, Charles capturing the bird and it's locked up in a cage, and so. Um, you have uh, Carl trying to set it free, and then Russell tries to, you know, save it, but of course he screws up. Oh, yeah. Well, what was the plan here when you think about it for Charles Muntz? What? To go back with it? And, yeah, he uh, was planning on going back with it to prove that, you know, he wasn't crazy, but I like to make the argument that 
with with the, the way that with how old he is, I wouldn't be surprised if the people that he wanted to prove his, you know, his discovery are already dead. Probably, yeah. The boy might, you know, like in the minute he lands, he's like, "Hey, I found this bird." It's like, okay, you're under arrest for you know crossing various borders and bringing an exotic bird into the United States. Assuming it is in the <laughs> United States, and then maybe States. there'll be some people who are like, "Who are you?" Yeah, it's like I'm Charles F. Munz. Who? who I have I'm this explorer adventures out there and they'll be like who the hell is this old guy with this bird yes yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah uh, so I find that this plan is kind of I mean you know what it would be so interesting if like maybe he does come back with the bird and then he doesn't get any fanfare that would be kind of interesting to see actually yeah it'd be kind of like you know he looks so defeated he's like okay you want this bird then you know fair enough go you know take it it's like, you know, in, yeah, and then uh, maybe he, realized... he has, you know, the bird and he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, thankfully, we didn't, well, we didn't go that route. We weren't the action. Uh, oh, that, 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 yeah, that, that airplane dog scene is, it's something out of, there's no, there's no other way of comparing it really to anything else. I mean, it's something like out of Looney Tunes or Tom and Jerry. It's, yeah, it's just, it sounds, it just looks, it looks weird and stupid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have the dogs like chewing on the little bone to like shoot out bone bullets and yeah, it just looks so weird. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, nowhere in the movie was there like, oh, I mean, sure, I, I can, I can, you know, suspend my disbelief of, um, a collar that you can understand what the dogs are saying, but dogs flying on airplanes. That's like a, you know, it, it, you, know you know that painting with, you know, the dogs playing cards? Yeah. That... So it's like that, in a sense. It's just so weird that it doesn't really make sense in the universe that they're at. I know. It's, it's, uh, things, well, let me safely say this. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Star Fox, as some people know, the Nintendo franchise, and uh, some people kind of make fun of me, like, you know, believing that, you know, a fox, a rabbit, a uh, falcon, and a toad can fly uh, spaceships through space. Yeah, tell me you don't look at this scene and like it with any type of dignity and say that, you know, uh, what what I believe is, uh, you know, what what I like is uh yeah any more, I mean, any just looking at it i'm expecting like... like you know charles munz to say do a barrel roll or alpha saying hey einstein i'm on your, your side. side yeah it's just it's uh yeah so that was something and then we get uh obviously carl lands on the on on the airship and uh gets in and uh has that uh standoff with uh, charles munz and again you know they do look like they are the same age and they even fight like they're the, they're the same age as well yeah um, exactly now there's a you know it's kind of funny because this movie came out in 2009 now around that same year there was a better fight that had two old men duking it out we had liquid ocelot and solid snake in metal gear solid 4 and that fight was much better yeah I'll tell you what, there was also, I mean, there's one fight that was even more comical as well, which is in Family Guy. You know, that's, uh, who's that, you know, old pedophile guy? And uh, then that Nazi. Yeah, yeah, Herbert. Herbert yeah, the pedophile. Herbert yeah. the pedophile. And then he, he fell yeah. out. Yeah. And that was, like, that was a fun. Chris, I come into my place in the basement. <laughs> Even they had a more fun old man fight. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, uh, you know, but get, your, yeah. get your fat ass over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that, that was actually also a lot of fun. Um, although probably for some people they say that, you know, Peter versus the chicken was a lot more fun. But yeah, but exactly. What, what I'm trying to say is, is that, um, yeah, it just feels kind of like 
weird that we have these two old men fighting each other for a bird. Yeah, it's just it's. Uh... Uh, I mean, it's a very valuable bird, and uh, you know, for that because obviously, uh, you know, Carl, for whatever reason, has some kind of interest now in getting the bird back to its babies, and uh, Charles Muntz wants to, you know, send it back to a country which probably has long forgotten him. You know, it's just it's yeah, there, there's nothing to root for here, really, when you think about it. It's just basically you're no, just, you're I, just kind I of mean, along for the just, ride. Oh, uh, we need to get the bird back to safety, and you know, we we even have Russell have his like little moment in which you know he helps um, Carl by. Um, getting the um, the airship to go in opposite directions and, you know, getting, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, Charles kind of like going off into the side. And then another dark moment is that he falls to his death with only a handful of balloons. Yeah. And so he's like, because he gets caught on the uh, on, on the on the windowsill, doesn't he? Trying to trying to get he also gets caught in some of the balloons as well. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he just uh, he does fall to. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, mind you, it's uh, it's interesting though because they left him with those balloons, and uh, I don't know. It's like were they like insinuate? I thought at one moment, you know, looking at that, it was kind of confusing for me because it's like, um, does that mean he's gonna like? I mean, does that insinuate that he's gonna you know, you know, use the balloons to like you know slow down his fall and he'll like live yeah 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 i mean he was like hoping that oh if, if i just grab a lot of these balloons it's going to slow down my fall you know make it like a parachute mm. but no it doesn't work in this case I, yeah. I guess we can make the argument that a lot of these balloons have lost their helium i mean how long has carl been at paradise falls like maybe three or so days yeah. so a lot of the air has deflated since then mm. so yeah, it's not going to help much uh, for Charles to grab a bunch of balloons so he can, like, float down, not needing to worry about falling all the way. But no, it's not that case yeah. at all. The, there is, like, a, you know, a bunch of theories that go around about how, you know, uh, Pixar villains didn't actually die or didn't actually, you know, something, nothing happened to them. Like, you know, uh, for example, like, have you seen the theory that, uh, you know, Syndrome, you know, when he blows up in the uh, in the jet airliner when he uh, gets caught? He, so there's the theory going around that, so, you know, the explosion happened but he managed to like stop the propeller blade with his uh his uh like you know uh, zero point energy uh blast before he like the explosion happened and like he was able to like escape or something like that yeah there's there's some yeah. theory about that at the moment but uh and on top of that so i mean yeah they, they, there's like theories of like how bad guys seem to get out of these situations somehow and uh i don't know why they so basically it leaves an interesting you know prospects open but likely we're going to see an up sequel is going to be pretty pretty minimal at this point i probably imagine yeah i don't i mean if we did have an up sequel i mean what's there left to do so i, I guess we can go over to the ending so yeah so um, there are the we senior. have the next couple of uh days and we have russell going into the scout meeting and he is earning his badge and then we have um carl who's there and he presents him with a bottle cap and uh he says i now give you the ellie badge and yeah, he looks really happy and he gives him a hug and then at the end we see them like sitting down and they're just eating ice cream and they're calling out the cars and um, we see that the house is now um, at Paradise Falls landing exactly where he wanted it to be. Mm. So then we get the credit scene, and it's uh, you know that it's the new adventure book of them going into like new adventures and stuff, and uh, it's a nice sweet way to uh, to end it. And uh, but uh, 
Yeah, I think I could kind of understand going, you know, after we talked out the second and third act, why people are kind of like, you know, cling on to the first act and say that's probably the best part of the film. And probably the only enjoyable part of the film, I guess. Yeah, or at least the Carl and Ellie parts were the best part of the film. Yeah. The Carl and Russell parts and the Carl and Charles Munz parts are a bit mixed. Mm. So, um, at the end of all this, um, it was uh, it did about, uh, about I tell you, it did actually do very well at the box office. It did uh, seven, over seven hundred million dollars. Uh, so yeah, a box and, office. Yeah, and also it it received like five Academy Award nominations. So yeah, it was uh, definitely it's definitely up there with, um, with with some of the big ones. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, for for us, we just think you know after you kind of like I would say it kind of goes for, it has kind of the same flaws as like uh, I mean I wouldn't say as badly as Frozen. I would say I mean but so you can definitely once you let it age for a while, you kind of like you can kind of see how old it actually is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's kind of like Avatar in which, oh, the movie is so amazing, so breathtaking with its effects. Wait a couple of years and now pretty much nobody cares about it anymore. Even with the announcement of like with James Cameron saying, I'm going to make Avatar 2, 3, and 4. And everyone's like, eh, Mm, I don't care. Because every other movie looks like that now. Exactly. Every other movie looks like that. It's like, it it makes you laugh thinking that, oh, James Cameron took 10 years to do Avatar because he wanted to wait for the graphics to look good. Now that he's taking probably another 10 years for that, pretty soon every movie's going to look like that and nobody's going to care. It's like, um, it seems that spectacle is one thing to impress an audience, but a story with great characters and moving moments, it's what makes it stay forever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving back to up, uh, we should probably score it. And so, uh, I mean, I guess I I do enjoy the the, uh, the the prospects of these characters. I would say, and I do enjoy like the setup. And so, I will probably say I probably say give it a se- a seven. I would say. Yeah, I would give it maybe a 7.5 because I do know what they're trying to do. I do see the potential for this story and these characters. There's a lot to build on. There's just some things that are a bit stumbly that you wish that could have been tightened up. But then there are things that are good are amazing, especially the Carl and Ellie moments. It really, really is the best part of this movie. And it's memorable because of that particular reason. They're they're time as a couple their interactions with each other are so phenomenal you wish that the movie would have been more about them mm-hmm. and so that ends another picks mix and so uh, uh just to let everybody know about the schedule i mean it's basically come to the point now where we're just gonna try and do picks mix whenever we can and then it'll just randomly appear when you uh when when you least expect it so uh i guess it kind of falls into the randomization of picks mix i guess you know the way we're gonna be doing <laughs> Yeah, but the bright side is that we do have about, like, what, four months? So we do have some time left until we reach over to The Incredibles 2. Yeah. So, uh, from myself, Aaron. And Patricia. Take care. Bye-bye for now. See you later.